Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. 500 years ago, the church universal, the church all over the world had become so confused and had worked so hard on building structures and creating bureaucracy, I don't have a better word for it, that a handful of guys in countries around the world started to notice something is not right here. Now, before you tune me out, because I'm talking about 500-year-ago history, I want you to understand how these brave brothers made a stake, put a stake in the ground, and they challenged the church. And their challenge to the church directly impacts you today. They basically said, hey, church leaders have started to concern themselves with themselves and building big buildings, and the church started to become all about doing church, and ultimately, they left Jesus out of the equation. All of a sudden, the church universal started thinking more about church than about Christ. And these reformers, what we would call them, said that at its stake, What the church is doing is confusing people, and they're not able to focus on the gospel anymore. So these brave brothers from Scotland and from Switzerland and from other parts of Europe decided, we have to challenge the church, reform the church, to go back to the original essence of Christianity, what Jesus came to earth for in the first place. And in order for us to do that, they put forth these five central tenets of the gospel, sometimes referred to as the five solas, because in the Latin language, the word sola means only. These five tenets were so important to the reformers that, I don't know, you might want to even tattoo them across your ribs. They're that big of a deal. And they basically said this, the gospel at its essence is not about building a church. It's not about creating a steeple. It's not about great works of art. It's all about people's lives being radically transformed by Jesus. So the first sola was sola fides, sola faith alone is what it said. It's faith alone that radically transforms somebody. And then they said it's sola Grace or sola gratia, grace alone, faith alone, grace alone, sola Christus, through Christ alone, and then finally, sola scriptura, through the Christ of scripture or the Christ of the Bible. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, scripture alone. And then they added this fifth one in there. And historians have said, You know, it feels like that fifth one really doesn't belong there because I get why we would talk about faith only. That's what Jesus asks of people. I get why we would talk about grace only, that it is only by the grace of God that somebody can be radically changed from the inside. I get why we would talk about Christ only and the Christ of the Bible, not some um, molested version of Jesus. But I don't understand why we would say the fifth one. And here it is on the screens for you, for you. Soli Deo Gloria, only for God's glory. That's what this phrase means in Latin. And 
I believe that those brilliant men, bold men, who were willing to stand against everything that the church was teaching on those five points of the Reformation, I believe that those men may have been reading the passage that we're going to look at today in the Bible. Because when they read this passage, you cannot miss the fact that Jesus is consumed by the glory of God and everything that he does is for the glory of God. And I want you to see that as a believer, you are challenged today, just like those brothers were 500 years ago, to decide tomorrow when I get up, am I gonna live for my glory? Or am I gonna live for God's glory? And let me just be real with you for a second. This challenge is for every Christian every day of your life. Am I gonna live for my glory today? Or am I gonna live for God's glory today? And I think you're going to see as we end John chapter 13, as we look at the end of this passage, that Jesus is radically, passionately committed to God's glory. And those of us who follow Jesus are supposed to be radically, passionately committed to God's glory so that when we get up tomorrow, we are living solely Deo Gloria, only for God's glory. You're going to hear four things from the Bible today. And each one of these phrases has the word his in it. And the his in these phrases is, of course, a reference to Jesus Christ, our King. And if you're going to live soli deo gloria tomorrow, only for God's glory, then the first thing that I want to challenge you with, this comes straight out of the Bible, is that you're going to have to get up tomorrow morning and you're going to have to decide, I am going to let his glory shine through my life. I am going to live my life for his glory. Now, I want you to humor me at home or in this room. In just a second, I'm going to start reading John 13. We're going to begin in verse 31. And in two verses alone, I want you to hold up a finger on one hand every time you hear the word glory or a version of the word glory. You guys with me? Okay. Here's what the Bible says. John chapter 13. As I read along, I want you to hold up a finger. Will you? Starting in verse 31, when he had left, when Judas left the room to go betray Jesus, when he had left, Jesus said, now the son of man is, come on, hang in there with me. Now the son of man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glory, glorify him in himself, and he will glorify him at once. Any idea what John is trying to talk about in these two verses? Anybody want to take a wild guess here at what John is stressing in these two verses? Jesus is speaking about glory today. And when you hear this word glory five times in two verses, I want you to think about putting something on display. I want you to think about demonstrating the greatness or the importance of something in your life because that's really what the word glory means here. There's whole lots of other Bible contextual um, descriptions of what this word means. I could spend hours today, literally hours today, talking about how important this word is and how it's used in the Bible. But Jesus is saying, now is the time that I'm going to glorify the Father and the Father is going to turn around and he's going to glorify me. And if you've been following along with us in the book of John, you should be saying to yourself, wait a second, now? Why now, Jesus? 
Because before this point, you have done some pretty amazing things and the crowd said, we want to make you king because you give us bread. You've done some miracles and people stood back and were in awe at your miracles. Why now? Because now is the moment where Jesus is about to suffer. And by the way, today he's going to prepare his disciples. You're about to suffer. And Jesus says, this is the moment where God is going to be glorified. He, I'm going to glorify him And he's going to glorify me. And in fact, I really believe what Jesus is doing in chapter 13 is what John described for us way back at the beginning of this book in chapter 1. He said, man, we, those privileged few that had a chance to walk with Jesus on earth, we saw the glory of God. We saw the glory of God and we could reach out and touch it. The glory, John chapter 1, as of the only begotten Son of God, we beheld God's glory when we saw the Son and walked with King Jesus on earth for a few short years. And John is culminating that whole thing for us today in John chapter 3. And to be honest, most of us, Christians every day have to get up and we have to decide whether or not we're going to be a glory thief. See, when God created human beings back in the Garden of Eden in the first place, he did it to put his glory on display. In fact, everything that God does, from creating the stars in the sky to creating human beings on earth, was all to display his glory so that people would see his creation and they would give glory to the Father who created And I really believe that tomorrow, you, I, all of us believers have a choice. We have to decide, am I going to live like Ron Burgundy, the anchorman, who has to remind people that he's a pretty big deal? Or am I going to live like John the Baptist? In John chapter 3, verse 30, when his disciples said, uh, John... Lots of people are hearing about this rabbi named Jesus. And John, they're leaving you. The big crowds are leaving you. And they're going to follow Jesus. John, you need to step up. And John, you need to stop this. Because if not, nobody's going to be following you anymore. And John makes the boldest, one of the most beautiful statements in the entire Bible. John chapter 3, verse 30, when he says, His glory, I'm going to use the word glory in here. His glory must increase. And my glory must decrease. In order for him to get the glory, I'm going to have to get less. And I'm totally cool with that. In fact, John says to his disciples, some of you dudes need to go follow him. And they leave John to go follow Jesus. And tomorrow morning, when I wake up, I have to decide, am I going to live like Ron Burgundy and tell everybody what a big deal I am? Or am I going to live like John the Baptist and make sure that his glory increases by my glory decreasing. And it is an everyday, all day long struggle because God's children are here on planet earth to reflect the glory of the Father. And one of the ways that you do that is by getting up tomorrow and demonstrating to the people in your life that your day is led by the glory of God. That you don't do what you wanna do when you wanna do it, you do what the Spirit of God is challenging you and leading you to do it. And those challenges are not easy. Let's just be honest. When Jesus used the word now, the now that he was referring to is now that Judas 
has left us to go betray me. Now that I am getting ready to go on trial, now that I am getting ready to be brutally murdered, now God is going to get the glory. And oh, by the way, my followers, I'm about to leave you. And when I leave you, it's going to hurt. And you're going to suffer a little bit. And for those of you who are kind of new to the Christian faith, or maybe this is the first time you've ever tuned into a church service, you may be thinking to yourself, I don't understand, Jeff, how a Christian that is hurting would bring glory to the Father in heaven. Well, I can give you the short answer to that, but Jesus is going to talk about that today. The short answer is you're demonstrating to the world when you suffer well for God's glory that there is something more important in your life than your own selfish ends and then your own um, credit and your own uh, glory, you're conclusively proving to the world that something is bigger than your life, than you. And that's how God gets the glory, even when his son is suffering, even when you and I are suffering. One verse, John chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus is preparing his followers for suffering. And he says, little children, and by the way, that phrase is not an insult. He's not calling them ignorant, but he's calling them uh, a, a term of affection. Like, you're my brothers and sisters, but I really, I, I treat you like you're my own children. Little children, I'm with you a little while longer. And you're going to look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I now tell you where I am going you cannot come. And if you know the rest of the story, Jesus is preparing them for the moment where they have placed all of their hope, all of their trust in this guy as the coming Messiah. He's going to kick out the Roman government. He's going to take over as the king and he's going to rule the land. And by the way, because we're his closest followers, we're going to get a share of that glory too. And Jesus is preparing them for the most crushing moment of their life. When with their own eyes, they see the one that they place their hope in, suffering and dying. And everything that they hoped for and all that they believed just goes right through their fingertips. And Jesus doesn't want them to handle this without being ready. So he's preparing them for suffering, and he's preparing them for what's about to happen to them. He's preparing them for the crushing blow that's about to happen to them and what appears is going to happen to the glory of God. I told you guys at the beginning of this service that this week has been an overwhelming, crushing week for the church of Jesus Christ globally because you may not know this, I'm a Southern Baptist pastor. And this week, the Southern Baptists have wrapped up a multi-year study and they published very publicly in the news this broad spread sexual scandal. They even listed names of people who were involved in this. And I believe that those reports were entirely accurate because I've been in the rooms listening to pastors who have been pouring their heart out when something like this has happened in their church. Not only are they entirely accurate, but I also believe that those reports are devastating to the glory of God. And listen, y'all, it's not just Southern Baptists. It's not just the Roman Catholic Church. In just a couple of weeks, 
our brothers and sisters in the Presbyterian Church of America are about to face a crisis that may divide that denomination and the AME church facing a financial scandal and the Methodist church that is facing a theological challenge that is so strong that they may not make it through it. And right now at every level, it feels like denominations and churches are being hit with a body blow one after another after another. And here's what has hurt me so deeply. I'm watching some of these church leaders and what they have chosen to do this makes me want to vomit, is that they have decided we're going to try to control the damage and we're going to try to cover up the real sin. And by doing so, they've left the victims feeling like they have no voice. They have left other people vulnerable to the same attack over and over and over again. And here's ultimately why those things have happened, because behind closed doors in many places, when a scandal like this happens, church leaders have a decision. Are we going to do what will bring us glory? Or are we going to confront this thing? And are we going to practice church discipline? And are we going to stand for the victims and protect the innocent? And are we ultimately going to make the decision that will bring God the most glory in these circumstances? And I have been behind closed doors counseling pastors in those brutal situations. And my advice is the same every time. Always, 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 no matter how devastating this is to the church, always do what will bring Jesus glory. You will never go wrong, no matter how bad this hurts the church, if you will choose that option. And I just want you to pray for brothers and sisters all over the world that are hurting right now because of the scandals and the challenges and some of the body blows that have happened to the church this week. And what's unfortunate is that some of the leaders, very godly men who have chosen the ungodly route and protected their own glory and damage control instead of doing the right thing and trying to glorify King Jesus. Because let's be honest, at its essence, what the glory of God is asking of God's people is that you would love. That you would love the lost so well that you would meet them right where they are and that you would intervene in some very dark people's lives, very dark situations, and introduce them to the light of the world. But Jesus says not only are we supposed to love those outside the church well, we're supposed to love each other so well, listen to this, that when other people see it, they say, I want some of that action. How can I get into on some of that action? John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. I give you a new commandment or a new command. Love one another. That's the command right there. Three words, love one another. And then he's going to describe it. Just as I have loved you. If you want to know how much or to what extent that you're supposed to love one another, well, I'll show you. Do it to the same extent that I have loved you. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And then look what happens when God's people love for the glory of God, love like Jesus loved. By this, by this new command, loving one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Say the word disciple out loud. If you love one another. If 
is a conditional. Those two letters are big in this verse. It's a conditional statement. If you don't love one another, then the world doesn't see that you're my disciple. In fact, perhaps you're not my disciple because my disciples love God and love their neighbor as their self. And when he says, I'm giving you a new command, really what he's, he's not really giving us an entirely new system of ethics here. I want you to think about that word command like the word covenant or the word testament. If you have a Bible, it's probably broken down into the old covenant and the new covenant, the old testament and the new testament. And it's actually the word that Jesus is using here. I've got a new covenant for you, a new testament for you. And here it is, three words. Love one another so radically that when other people see this, they're saying, mm, there's something legit about those people. Because I've seen the crowds, I've seen groups, I've seen uh, social networks, but I've never seen anybody acting towards each other the way that these people act towards one another. And the crowds start to say, you know what, there must be something to this Christianity thing because nobody else loves the way that those folks love. And I want to be loved like that, so how do I become part of that group is basically what Jesus is saying for us today, that we're supposed to love one another and we're supposed to love one another for his glory, which means tomorrow morning when you get up, you have this this challenge that you can be Ron Burgundy and a glory thief and prove to everybody what a big deal you are, or you can love unselfishly like Jesus loved unselfishly. And people are going to see it. And here's what the Bible says. They will give your father in heaven glory for that. I think this glory that's on display that Jesus is using here in this verse I think John, when he was writing this, he may have been thinking back to Moses and the children of Israel. You see, every morning when they got up, there was a pillar of smoke in the day. And they could see that pillar of smoke, and they knew today all I, get, all I have to do is get up and follow that pillar wherever that pillar of smoke leads. There was a pillar of fire that they could see throughout the entire desert at night. And all I got to do when the pillar of fire stops, I stop. When the pillar of fire moves, I move. All they had to do is just simply follow the glory of God. Because the children of Israel believed God is leading us through that pillar of fire and that pillar of smoke. Listen, his glory was so spectacular that when Moses went up on the mountain and spent some time with God on the mountain, he would come back from the mountain and his face glowed like it was uh, lit up like a nightlight. And people would say, Moses, would you put the light out? I can't sleep. And he would have to throw something over his face so that the people in the tent next to him could get to sleep. That's how much the glory of God impacted the people of Israel and impacted Moses. And John is saying, I want you, Christian, to live just like Moses and just like the people of Israel. I want you to just simply follow God and be led and love like he loves because you're following him and you're being led by him. And when you do that, you're actually living your life for his glory. Now, to be honest, at the end of chapter 13, Peter is going to pipe in, and like he always does, he's going to shoot off his big mouth. And Peter is going to talk about how willing he is to die for God's glory. 
And I'm using the word live on purpose here because when you understand what it really looks like to be willing to die for God's glory, then you would be willing to live for God's glory. But if you're not really willing to die for his glory, then perhaps you're not even willing to, be, uh, to live for God's glory. I want you to listen to Peter's rash statement. There's no other way to describe it. And listen to Jesus' response, not just to Peter, but his response to us today. Here's how John chapter 13 ends. Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. Say the word follow out loud because it's going to come up a lot in this passage, but I need you to hear something. Before you hear the word follow, I need you to think the root word for follow is the exact same word that you and I use for disciple. A disciple is a follower. If you're a follower, you're a disciple. And if you're not following, you're not a disciple. So every time you hear the word follow in just a moment, think disciple. Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot disciple me now but you will follow later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, I'm going to put this in uh, air quotes. Oh, really? Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Big shot. Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow. Until you have denied me three times. Peter, you're thinking about your own glory right now. I'm convinced that's what's going through Jesus' mind. Peter, you're trying to separate yourself from the rest of the disciples. You're thinking about your own glory. And you want to broadcast how awesome you are? Well, let me tell you what's about to happen to you, Peter. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me to a little servant girl that has no power over you. You think you're such a big shot, Peter. And by doing that, you're drawing glory to yourself instead of drawing glory to me. Because my disciples get up every morning and they have this challenge, am I going to follow him? Am I going to live for him? And Peter's saying, Jesus, I would die for you. And Jesus is saying, oh, you, you will die for me, but not right now. Before that day comes, Peter, you're not even willing to live for me. And Memorial Day weekend is the weekend, Pastor Troy just said it, as a warrior, he understands that like other warriors in this room and those of you that are tuned in, Memorial Day is the day that we think about guys and gals that have died for us. This weekend, I'll think about Aaron Weaver and Dominic Pilla and Lorenzo, Lorenzo Ruiz. But the ultimate person that I will remember on Memorial Day is the king of the universe who laid down his life. Greater love has no man than this, that they would lay down their life for somebody else. And let me tell you how profoundly Memorial Day impacts me. On Memorial Day, I think back to those friends of mine that are in a cemetery right now instead of alive. And I renew my commitment all over again. God, you've given me another day on planet Earth. I'm going to live a good life and be a good man, the kind of life that they can't live because they were willing to fight and to die for me. 
which is what every Christian, listen, this isn't about America and this isn't about Memorial Day. This is for every Christian in every country all over the planet. All of us should be willing to say, somebody died for me. And tomorrow when I get up, I'm going to live for the man who died for me. And I'm not going to live for me anymore. I'm going to start living for him. Which means tomorrow morning when you get up, you have this next step challenge in front of you just like I have it in front of me. Maybe you're tuned into this broadcast. Maybe every day of your life you have been living for yourself. You have been the God of your own life. And you have been trying to get your own glory. And maybe you realize, I need to change but I can't change that. That's too deep inside of me. I need God to change me. I need him to change me for the first time so that when I get up, I am consumed and passionate about the glory of God instead of looking good in front of my friends and neighbors and everybody else on social media. And in just a second, I'm going to pray for somebody who's tuned in and watching this who needs a heart transplant because your heart is evil because it's living for yourself instead of living for the glory of God. But I'm going to pray for me. I'm going to pray for every brother and sister in the faith in this room or that's tuned in right now. The second thing that's on the screens. I'm going to pray that tomorrow morning when you get up, you're going to hear in the back of your mind, am I going to live like John the Baptist or am I going to live like Ron Burgundy today? Am I going to try to prove to everybody what a big deal I am? Or am I going to decide he must increase? And in order for that to happen, my glory is going to have to decrease. And if you will do that, I promise you, God will do it, will do things in your life in such a way that people will see there's something different about her. I don't even know what it is, but she's got something. And I want what she's got. That guy is different. And I want to know more. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.